You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode's guest is Matt Labris. Matt is a public speaker, branding enthusiast, and lifestyle entrepreneur. But he started out thinking he was going to be a professional athlete. When that didn't work out, Matt set his sights on the world of events and promotion, and he was really good at it. But he's your classic 26er, so that wasn't enough. Matt wanted to have a greater impact on the world, so he altered his course. And along the way, he met Damon John. Now, that name may sound familiar to you. Damon is the founder of FUBU and an investor on ABC's hit show Shark Tank. Matt turned that brief meeting into an internship, which turned into a full-time job as a content coordinator at Damon's company, The Shark Group. During our conversation, we get into just how he did it and a whole lot more. So take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Matt Labrie, welcome to the December 26th podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you on this fine, fine day? I am terrific. You're very excited. You've been excited. And I like to just say any guests who text me the morning of and says, like, I'm really looking forward to this. Just want to make sure I'm prepared. I know they are ready. They are ready to appear on the podcast. I'm ready. I'm ready. So let's jump right into it. Let's not waste any more time. Who is Matt Labrie? Matt Labrie is an agent of change looking to empower the lives of one billion people. All right. We're going to have to unpack that because you said billion with a B. Billion with a B. So how do you plan to impact one billion people? We're just going to jump right into that. Let's do it. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that was just me setting a very specific goal maybe about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, How am I going to do it? Great question. Um, I'm still figuring that out day by day, but it does come in the form of or different types of content. Okay. Put it whether that's content on social media, books, whether that's ebook or actually a published book, um, speaking on stage in front of X amount of people. All those different deliverables is how I want to get that, you know, influence across to these people. So I know that you are already proficient in in a few of these areas, namely content creation and ebooks and all of that great stuff. which we are going to get to. But let's take it back. When did you decide I want to be an agent of change? This is what I want to do. Yeah, for sure. So honestly, I came from a super troubled past. So it definitely wasn't any time before I was maybe 22 years old. Okay. Um, So it's been probably for the last three years being I'm 25 now. Um, I just remember one day I was on my college campus in Queens and pretty much just hit me to the point where I was tearing. I was super vulnerable because I saw the potential that was within the school community. And I said that I needed to be the one to step up because I'm a natural leader, Um, whether that came through playing sports or just kind of like being the head of my posse or crew back in the day, you know, Um, I just felt like I needed to take it into my own hands however I could. And that's kind of where it started. Okay. So speaking of being a head of posse and crew, I know that when you were in school, you were the president of the entrepreneurship club. That is correct. Okay. So I know, you know, I got to a certain age and stage in my life and said, I definitely want to be my own boss at some point, but that was not in college. So how did you know at that juncture of your life that this is what I want to do? I want to be an entrepreneur because you majored in entrepreneurship too. Majored in entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. minored in accounting, and it pretty much just got to a point where it was like,
like, dude, you're not going to get to where you want to be in life unless you start taking control. Uh, I'm a firm believer that life has a plan for you. Life literally has its own goals for you. Absolutely. They don't necessarily align with your personal goals. So you have to do whatever you have to do to take that into, your, you know, the ball is in your court. It's like, are you going to dribble? Are you going to pass? Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to shoot? So that's what it came down to. And to become president of the Entrepreneurship Club, I literally just aligned myself with the leaders that were already present there. Um, I added value however I could, because I think that's a huge thing. You have to add value. And it just happened. Um, everyone saw what I was bringing to the table and they were said, listen, you're, you're next up. So. Okay. So they told you you were next up, but based on a little bit that you've given us so far, it sounds like from your past, you may not necessarily have had a story where someone might have looked at you a few years earlier and said, oh yeah, he's definitely next. He's going to do something amazing. What happened in your childhood that makes you say, yes, it, it was troubled? I could go into so many stories right now. Um, yeah. So I guess it would start going all the way back to, let's say, elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of five students in a private elementary school that had a quote unquote checklist. So that was whenever you did something that was not within their line of conduct, whether your tie was the wrong way mm-hmm. or your shirt was untucked or you were acting a fool in class in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, and that's where the troublesome started. Um, I, my outlet was always sports. I always used that as my excuse. I was good in sports. Academics, always bad. And this didn't stop in elementary school. It continued into high school. Mm-hmm. I ended up leaving a all boys school that was a seminary school within my freshman year. I knew I would have never survived mm-hmm. acting the way I was acting. I would have never made it out of high school. Transferred schools, it continued. And I, I just never knew what it was. And I just used sports as an outlet. When I got to college, this was the first time I ever went to a public school in my life. Mm-hmm. I never knew what it was like to cut a class and I fell in love with it. <laughs> Keeping it real, I fell in love with it. Um, I over abused that privilege of you can miss three classes, right? Um, and then it got to a point where it was like, went back to school after failing out, went back to college after failing out, just to clarify, um, went to a school to get my four-year degree or my bachelor's. And that's when it was dawning on me. It was just like, you need to do it. Like it's on you. Um, and every one of my actions up until that point was on me. Mm -hmm. Me acting a fool was on me. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't my friends. Like, sure. My friends had influence on it, but it was on me who was the one, you know, I was the one making the choice. So you got out. So you made it out of high school, went to school. Where'd you go to school the first time? I went to cathedral prep seminary. Okay. Seminary. Seminary. It was a seminary school. So did you have dreams of being clergy? I didn't, but it was the only school that accepted me. Really? So what was your GPA like at that point? (laughs) I don't know if you can measure what my GPA was. Okay. So low, we'll say it's low, low. but this school said, we'll give you a chance. By political reasons. So I knew someone within the school because I originally was denied access. I was not accepted. Okay. So tell me about that. So you, you got the rejection letter, but then someone pulled some strings. How did that happen? Someone pulled strings. They just knew what I brought to the table when it came to playing sports. Uh, I was a dual athlete, baseball and basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a division two school, okay. um, not in the best division. So, you know, just I had a lot of chemistry with the students that were going there Two camps. I uh, played little league with some of the kids. So, yeah, this guy, he, he had the power to do that. And he did. So do you think going in because someone pulled those strings for you, you felt almost a little bit of entitlement, like they're not going to kick me out. I can do what I want. Or what exactly? happened there? So I think the entitlement came from not that per se, but Mm -hmm. from I'm almost untouchable in terms of I know what I'm bringing to the 
table from a sport basis, mm-hmm. right? It was like, I, I remember there was one time in a summer camp, I literally dropped 65 points in a basketball game. And basketball wasn't even my strong suit. It was baseball. baseball. So for me to do that and for them to all witness it at their camp, like I, I knew like I was good. Mm-hmm. I knew I was good. But then, you know, things started to unravel and I wasn't. So did you finish the first year? Finished. So I actually left a week into my sophomore year. Wow. Yeah. So it, you came back. It happened quick. It happened quick. It was it was also my personal decision to leave. Okay. So yeah. they didn't say we're going to ask you to leave. No. It would have came. It, you were like, you know what? Came. Let me just beat you to the punch. Exactly. And get out of here. And well, But were you an athlete that second year? I was. So it's funny because my baseball coach was also my global studies teacher there. Mm-hmm. He did not fail me if it was baseball season. During ah. basketball season, he failed me. So it was, it was very political in that sense. Um, but yeah, it, it would have definitely came to the point where I was getting kicked out. And I, I did play, uh, just not in the second year. Okay. So you preemptively left. And then how much time was there? between leaving this school and then going back? There was actually no gap. Um, Okay. Yeah, no gap at all. And for political reasons as well, I got into the next school. All right. So, I mean, we're going to get into your story now and like where you work and how you got there. But I already already know you're a master networker (laughs) and you probably can talk your way into any situation. (laughs) I'm clear on that. Okay. So you started at this next school, which was CUNY? Christ the King Regional High School. Okay. So this is this is still... This is is high school. This is still high school. Got it. All right. So you preemptively left one school went to Christ the King High School all right but still were up to your old antics so bad so bad and it did get better it mm-hmm. definitely got better because I knew I was going into this school on a recommendation from my mom and just having that you know I'm a mama's boy okay. you know so I didn't want to mess up any relationship there but after a while and getting accustomed to the school and accustomed to the students and actually knowing people that already went there you know it started to happen again so uh, I, I was digging my own grave and did you make it out did you graduate on time I did graduate on time. Okay. Graduated on time. And then you must have applied somewhere for college. Yes. Yeah, okay. So my senior year, um, I played baseball and basketball and my basketball team was actually nationally ranked. Okay. So I'm not going to take any credit. I was on the varsity B team, not the varsity <laughs> A team. But Keep the it program, real. program was still nationally ranked. Um, but yeah, I was only applying to schools that I was going to play baseball for. Okay. Um, St. John's University, Oneonta, a couple other schools. And I remember pretty vividly, it was October of my senior year. I was 17 years old and I literally just turned 17 and I tore the labrum in my shoulder. Wow. After that, I did not pick up a baseball or basketball ever again, unless it was for fun. Um, Nothing organized. So at that point, no school wanted to talk to me again. Literally, no one wanted to say boo to me. Right, because for you, it was all about your athletic ability, not your academics. Yeah, that's all it was. And that was my only shot at going to college. So, um, you know, my parents wanted me to go to college. Me, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Okay. Like to the point where going back to I'm 10 years old, I would literally take stuff out of my mom's kitchen cabinets and try and sell it on the street. Like I had my own quote unquote restaurant, you know, Mm -hmm. however you want to view that. (laughs) But that's how far it goes back. So I didn't really want to go to college. Um, I ended up in community college because they accept essentially anyone. Mm -hmm. As long as you pass a couple tests, you're good. And I want to say this about community college because a lot of people like, you know, rag on it. But if you're not ready for a four year school, there's nothing wrong with taking that step first and getting in the right frame of mind and then transferring out. And some people need to do that. 
that's okay. So you went to community college and did you actually finish out there? I finished community college. My two-year degree took me four and a half. Really? So what were you doing in that time period that it took that long? For sure. So essentially I started out studying something that I didn't care about. Okay. I went to school, I went to college to study um, education more so physical education, just because I had a gym teacher in high school that had a dope gold chain with a nice (laughs) little diamond piece, came in with these Cuban links, rings, and I'm like, you know, if he's doing this, like, I want to do that. You know, I I was attracted to that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I was going through it, and my first year was pretty good. Even from an academic standpoint, like, I really buckled down. I was starting to mature, or quote-unquote mature, and getting good grades, and then it started to hit me. It was just like, this really isn't what you want. Mm -hmm. You know, what you want want is nice things, which can come from many, many different occupations, you know? Um, so yeah, it was just more so that. Yeah. Okay. So four and a half years, you finished that your associate's degree. Yeah. And what was next? How did you figure out what, what next meant for you? So during that time, I actually just totally skipped this. During that time, I actually started to become an independently contracted um, event coordinator. Wow. Yeah. Event. Co- how did you get into event coordination? It really started with a line myself with the older people I was looking up to. So for instance, a gym teacher, he had quite a few years on me, but hanging out in my neighborhood, there was always these guys that were like four or five years older than me. And I just saw them with nice cars. I saw them hanging out with pretty girls and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I kind of want to do what they're doing. Came to a conclusion that they were promoting parties. So at 17 years old or 16 years old, I remember I promoted my quote unquote 18th birthday, Mm -hmm. although it was my 17th birthday, (laughs) made $170 and didn't even show up to the venue. Are you serious? I am so serious. So wait, you promoted this whole party for you turning 18, but you were really turning 17. Just took the profits and didn't show. Didn't show. <laughs> I had people texting me, where you at? Where you at? Where you at? And I just was Where not were there. you? I was home in bed. Did you grow up in New York? I grew up in Queens. Okay, this sounds like some New York like yeah. shyster behavior. But anyway, <laughs> continue. <laughs> yeah, so that that's kind of what really like cemented the whole entrepreneurship thing. From there, I was getting paid off of how many people I was bringing to the club. Okay. After that, it started to work up to a salary basis. So from 17 to 24, I was doing this. And not only was I doing an event every Saturday, I was also working with the 50 Cents, the Fetty Wops, the mm-hmm. Jadakisses, the Lloyd Banks, and all these people. And it was becoming really cool because I was associating with people that I kind of wanted to be like. Sure. Not necessarily. I didn't want to be a rapper. I can't rap. I can barely rhyme. <laughs> But I did want to be around those big players. Um, so while in community college, it got to a point where I was in love with how much money I was making. Mm-hmm. And that's the exact reason why I stopped going. I also failed out. But that was the that was the main contributing reason. OK, so during that four and a half period, at some point you failed out of community college as well. I did. Okay. But you're working with these entertainers. So what were you like promoting club appearances for them or? Totally. So my team would essentially book someone like a Lloyd Banks or mm-hmm. a Jadakiss whoever um, promote the party and we always had great turnouts um, as you could imagine sure so let's let me talk a little bit about um the business aspect of that because if you're booking an act you got to put up some money for that right for sure. so how are you doing that at such a young age essentially it was my team I can't take any credit mm-hmm. for that um, I aligned myself with some amazing individuals I, I could never take any credit for anything that we did unless I refer to it as a team basis and that's exactly what it was we were doing events I remember we did an event on a Thanksgiving Eve. The the owners of these club or the owner of this club did not expect us to pull the amount of people we did to mm-hmm. the point where we got shut down by, by the police. Wow. Just because 
we didn't have enough security staff, the crowd control, all that. Um, absolutely amazing stuff that we did. But yeah, it was really the older individuals I was aligning myself with that kind of took me under their wing, mm-hmm. um, which really goes back to the whole networking thing and how I got involved with these people. But yeah, it was total team effort, total team effort. Okay, so you ended up finishing your associate's degree, but you got this amazing thing going on on the events promotion side. What made you say, I'm still going to go back to school? Because eventually you went and, and got a degree, right? Yeah, so I think what it was was just understanding that I would never be able to do it, do what I want to do in life off one income. Mm-hmm. Um, being aligned with older people, I saw what they were doing. One was an accountant and a promoter. One was, um, he had a t-shirt business and he was a promoter. One owned a sandwich shop and he was a promoter. So all that stuff was really kind of hitting me hard. It's like, yo, dude, you need to, you need to do more than just this. Mm-hmm. And I was, I had multiple sources of income as well. And yeah, that's what it really came down to. Okay. So how old were you when you got out of community college? I was probably 22. 22. Okay. Yeah. And then did you make the transition? Instantly. Instantly. Right. Instantly. To CUNY at this point. Yes. Right. Okay. So you're in CUNY, you say, all right, I'm going to major in entrepreneurship and accounting. What does your vision for your life look like at that point? I I always had the vision that I would be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, Even with the troubled past, like whether I would have been someone that was playing professional sports or I would be a business mogul. I just always knew and I still know till today I am Mm -hmm. going to be successful. Um, You know, it has changed over the years. I've definitely grew up. I was always thinking about the Rolls Royce and the diamond chains and whatever else. And now it's more so what I can create or give to others. To me that, you know, my definition of success has definitely changed. And did you ever grieve the dream of being a professional athlete or was it like, okay, I have this injury. I'm never going to play again. Let me just figure something else out. Yeah. I mean, I still kind of do grieve it till today. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that I do carry with me and it's, trust me, I'm tempted to go back. Mm -hmm. I I am. Uh, I know what it would take and it would really essentially take me to stop everything that I'm doing right Mm now. Um, So it comes down to, you know, that whole definition of success. So yeah, I do grieve it. So you would, you, you, you possibly at some point could go back. You think about it. I've thought about it, but now that my age is going up and my athleticism is going down, I'm kind of uh, turning a different way. Well, that's why I asked the question, because when I think about, you know, athletes and sort of when they're at their prime, I know baseball players especially have more of a longstanding career, but I'm shocked to hear that you've actually considered, you know, maybe I'll train and try this again. Yeah, totally. But it sounds like you have a whole other vision that is going to take you probably farther than being an athlete ever would. Exactly. So let's talk about that vision today. What does your career look like now? So I currently work for Damon John Mm -hmm. of Shark Tank, FUBU. Um, Absolutely amazing. Um, Just a great opportunity to be under the wing of someone like that. Um, I've I've sat in meetings with him and it's just like, wow, you know, like I I can't even speak because I'm watching someone like that facilitate a meeting so calmly and so smoothly and doesn't get frustrated or anything like that. And I'm just like, wow, like this guy is a prime example of what I want to be like. Now, I'm a huge Shark Tank fan, (laughs) (laughs) so very familiar with Damon John's story and FUBU and all that great stuff. I remember when LL Cool J dropped the FUBU reference in a Gap commercial, which was a huge deal at the time and still is. How did you get close enough to Damon to be able to work work for him? Essentially, it was network. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really, really network. Um, so it started at CUNY York College, which is where I was getting my four-year degree. Um, I was blessed with the opportunity to meet Damon. I remember I was on the beach in Dominican Republic on spring break. I was like April 20 third of 2016 mm-hmm. and I remember getting a phone call and the caller ID says CUNY York College and I'm looking at my phone I'm like I know I paid my tuition <laughs> 
literally, I knew I paid my tuition. Um, I paid it out of my own pocket, so I just knew it. Answer the phone anyway, and they're like, hey, Matt, would you like to meet Damon John? What I really wanted to say was, you know me, so you know the answer to this question. Right, you could have just proactively answered, Exactly, exactly. So, of course, I took the opportunity. It just happened to be a day after I was landing, which was perfect timing. Met Damon, shook his hand. He looked at me, and he said, what the hell do they teach you here how to break people's hands? So it was kind (laughs) of... firm handshake. firm handshake. It was kind of good vibes right off the bat. And after five minutes of convo, our time was up. And I said, listen, Damon, I'm going to work for you. Simple, blunt, just straight to the point. He went on stage, did his fireside chat. As I'm leaving, I invited a buddy of mine and I'm walking out with my buddy and we both saw someone that kind of looked familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, I know this guy. I really know this guy. So I said, "Okay, cool. Walks up to him, starts talking to him. And we find out he works for Damon. Long story short, we knew him from the club industry. So it, it. it all ties in. It really does all tie in. And I said to this guy, I was like, listen, man, I'll do whatever you need me to do for you. I'm just looking for this little piece of help. So again, I was just trying to provide value to someone that Mm -hmm. I knew could definitely provide value to me. And next thing you know, I had an internship two months later. Okay, so let's back up. CUNY calls you while you're on spring break and says, do you want to meet Damon John? Were they just inviting you to the fireside chat? Was that like the exclusive part? Or were they saying there's this chat happening, but we want to give you a personal introduction to Damon? So it was more so they were inviting the executive board of the Entrepreneurship Club. Okay. Um, We had green room access. So yeah, we did have the exclusive access to that. Um, Yeah. So you were a part of a group. A group of three people. Okay. So you get this intro, shake Damon's hand, you drop the statement, you decree and declare (laughs) this is what's going to happen. And then you meet this other person sort of after after the, the chat or what have you. And then you get, you land this internship. Yeah. So what was the interview process like? Because it's one thing to get an interview with an exclusive organization like that. And it's another thing to get an offer. For sure. So I was interviewed by two people, my two coworkers currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of thought I was like a fanboy. <laughs> They really did, because uh, I did write a blog about Damon prior to getting this. Not to okay. like get attraction from him or to get his attention, I should say, but more so just because I really do believe he's one of the most influential entrepreneurs of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what he did with FUBU and what he's still currently doing is just amazing. And I'm not saying that because I'm with him and his team. It's just that's what I really do believe. So the interview was more so just kind of feeling me out. Um, they haven't had an intern from my school. Okay. So that was one thing. They were like kind of not hidden or, you know, feeling some type of way about it. But they wanted to know, like, why me? Mm-hmm. As, as anyone would on an interview, right? And yeah, they, I remember I got asked a really weird question. I was just so baffled by it. They were like, one of the guys was saying, how many TVs do you think are in New York? Or how many TVs do you think are in the United States? So what I did was just think of the population off the top of my head. And I just subtracted it by half. Mm-hmm. I, I just gave that answer. The whole point was was no one knows the real answer to that it's sure. just like your thought process right, right. so yeah that, that that was it did you actually know the population i don't and i time? still don't <laughs> <laughs> okay so you pulled the number out got the internship what were you doing in that role so i was doing business development okay um and it's really weird to say but business development within the shark group is treating the ceo like a client because i was gonna say okay what is biz dev yeah. within the context of the shark group and Let's talk about it. Treating the CEO like a client. What does that mean? So Damon himself is his own brand, Mm -hmm. right? Just his name alone is a brand. And with the amount of speaking engagements he has on his plate and just all that this guy has going on, like he needs help, Mm -hmm. right? 
anyone of his stature needs help. I mean, I, th- I think I need help and I'm nowhere near that right now. Tell me about it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it's composed of myself, which is content, biz dev manager, the president of the company, which is great, and the strategic partnerships manager. Okay. So us four make up the biz dev team. So essentially um, what happens is anything you see on his social media comes through our team, uh, live curriculums, digital curriculums, books, podcasts, that all is driven through us. Okay. So you were in the role as an intern that you effectively play now as a full-time employee. Yeah. So what happened was my role currently was divided by two people. Okay. And once I was hired, I took it over in full plus more. Okay. Um, And now it's just a monster. We created a monster. It's great. So you've created this monster, but I know there could be a young person who listens to this and says they're in college or what have you or grad school and says, I would kill for an opportunity like that. And and those of us who've been through coveted internships know it's not enough to just get it. You have to get in there and make an impact and add value. So how did you do that in your first few months in that role? So I I actually really love talking about this. Mm -hmm. I showed up before every single person. I would legit stand outside the door because I didn't have the security code. <laughs> so they didn't give you a code. They were like, you're a part of the team, but not fully. Exactly. And when I took the code, I got in a lot of trouble. That's another <laughs> story. So I would show up before everybody, wait to be let in. Um, I would stay later than everybody, including some employees. And that's not to call anyone out. That's just the God's honest truth. Right. Um, I think that alone was a major, major factor. Not only when I'm handed work, turned it over in a timely manner, Mm -hmm. made sure it was neat, made sure it was good. If there were any edits that needed to be made, I would put it out on the table like, hey, I'm not perfect. Right. You know, I'm here to learn. Like, teach me. What do you like? What will be approved by the president? What will be approved by Damon? So it was that um, saying hello to everyone. Mm -hmm. Actually saying good morning. Now, the office is super small. It's about 30 people. So it's a very, it's kind of like a startup. Right. right? I would walk around to every single person after everyone was seated at 1030 when we started. And keep in mind, I'm there at 9 a.m., 930 now. Mm -hmm. So I've been there. I would literally walk around and start conversation with every single person. Again, networking. I knew that I would get value out of it, even if I didn't get a job. Absolutely. I would make a connect, right? And I would always have a connect on Damon's team. And I think that's what really made me stand out. So from a substantive perspective? Were you writing copy? Were you putting together pitches? What kind of projects were they giving you? Writing copy was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot of things that I never would have thought I would have learned, like Shopify, mm-hmm. a website platform. I had no interest in that, but being that it was thrown on my plate, I would have never said no. Absolutely. And that's another thing. I, be, I became a yes man, whether mm-hmm. they were like, hey, I need you to do this Shopify project, or hey, I need you to put this desk together. You know, a desk I was going to say, I bet there was some grunt work sprinkled in there as oh, well. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> And it was just all about saying yes. Okay. So how long was your internship? So my internship was from August of 2016 to December of 2016. And then it got to a point where it was like, I know I want to work here. Like I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but if there was anywhere that I could start and be mentored by like-minded people and people that I look up to, that was the place. So what I did was go up to my supervisor and I said, listen, I know you're in the process of looking for interns. I just wanted to let you know I am open to coming back here. And I think that was another thing that really set people off. And they're like, listen, this kid's here for it, you mm-hmm. know? So I interned my next semester, which was the spring semester, and was offered a job in May. So did you graduate that May? I graduated you, that May. And you had a job to move into. Exactly. So let me ask you this, because I'm 
curious. During that internship period, how much interaction did you have with Damon himself? Actually, a lot. Mm -hmm. Actually, a lot. And what it comes down to was the fact that I met him at York. Mm -hmm. So I had that advantage. Um, We actually had an opportunity as interns to go out to lunch with him, which was like two hours, three hours. Okay. Solely us time, you know, the interns and Damon. And I took full advantage of that, like complete advantage to the point where people were sitting there quiet eating. And I was like, listen, I'll I'll eat later. Like, let me (laughs) ask my questions now. You're trying to eat in a different way, right? I'm trying to eat in a different way. Exactly. So, but what I love about your story, though, is easy as an intern to try to make an an impression on the head guy, right? The name that everybody knows. But if you're walking around leaving an impression on the folks underneath him, and what a lot of people don't realize is some of those folks are the drivers. They're decision makers that can really change the course of your life. It's not always the person at the pinnacle or that person at the top may be relying on those underneath to help make a decision. So one of the things that like I try to live my life by is A, not burning bridges, but treating everyone from the doorman and the janitor to the person all the way at the top with respect because you never know who can change the course of your life. So I'm I'm glad that you said out of a 30 person team, you're going to each person one by one and making sure they know your name and your face and greeting them and building a relationship because that really is what matters. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. So you've got this, this full time gig, which is, I'm sure some people were like green with envy (laughs) that you made that jump. That is an impressive career move so early in your process. Um, So how did you build this quote monster to take it from the internship where people are just giving you projects to now be in a position to maybe influence a little bit more the trajectory of the company and the brand? Totally. So Damon is, this guy has so much content out there, Mm -hmm. but it was really raw, right? It was at a very base level. And, you know, he had a very powerful social media following even before I came on. But what we wanted to do was boost him up, Mm -hmm. right? Like this guy deserves to have 10 million followers for the story that he has. Sure. Like he really does deserve that. So what we did was just lay out all the raw pieces, all the puzzle pieces there. And we started to put the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. Um, The guys on press outlets literally all the time, whether that's ABC, Rachel Ray, whatever the case is, we were never repurposing that. Okay. So that was one of the things we started to do. We started to repurpose that. We repurposed the podcast that he's on, like just finding ways to get his word out there Mm -hmm. in different, you know, different formats and different types of content. And what it's really proven to be super, super effective, super effective. And that's what we built off of. Awesome. So this concept of content creation, you know, someone may hear this and say, well, it's easy to do that when it's Damon John, right? People want to hear what he has to say based on what he's built and the fact that he's on television every week. But I personally think the concepts, the core concepts of content creation apply across the board and can help anybody build their brand. So let's say someone is like, okay, I'm a, I'm a lifestyle expert or I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a speaker. How do I get started in this content creation world? What are the top tips you can give them to really push them in the right direction? For sure. I think that's a great question. It's something that I personally had to do myself mm-hmm. because I, you know, I was influenced very much by my job to start doing this stuff for myself. So what it comes down to is really one, identifying what it is, like, what's that goal, mm-hmm. right? Like, what what do you want to get out of putting content out there? You know, anyone could just, hey, selfie video, right. say a couple things and post it. But what's that end result that you want to get? And I think that's where everyone needs to start. And from there, it kind of branches off into, all right, what can you do now? Do you have to put out a how-to video? Do you need to put out a motivating video or, you know, something along those lines, like a couple nice pictures mm-hmm. with a nice caption, um, eBooks or whatever the case is, like everyone's situation is different, but it all resorts back to what you're looking to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Got it. So you mentioned eBook and you actually have one. That is correct. Let's take the time to plug that now. If people want to get your eBook, what's it about and where can they find it? 
excited. So I put out an ebook on personal branding. Mm -hmm. um, I felt super compelled to do so just because my brand has literally changed three times. Mm -hmm. um, as we've mentioned, um, it went from an athlete to a quote unquote party guy or the party plug, however you want to you know refer to it as. And now someone that provides motivation and influence. So being that my brand changed three times, I didn't even realize what I was doing like while doing it. Mm -hmm. But after I took the time to sit there and actually like put it all out on paper, it was like, wow, like you did all this. You became an authority in a space three separate times. Right. Um, so I felt super compelled to put this together. And it's just called owning your personal brand. Mm -hmm. Everyone's the CEO of me or CEO of you, however Absolutely. you want to refer to that as. And if you're not taking control of your personal brand, you're literally letting the world dictate who you become. Right. And I think that's the most important thing for people to take away. It's just like you need to be you. Like, don't let the person next to you tell you what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So I, I put up super simple five page ebook together with the most basic principles that will add value to your personal brand. A step by step approach. It's five steps of how you can do that. Uh, it can be found at my website, mattlabrice.com forward slash owning your brand. Got it. OK, so you have the ebook. What I am clear on, because some people may listen to this and say, oh, he works for Damon. You know, he's going to climb that ladder. I can tell in the short time that we've been talking that your brand goes far beyond that and your vision for your life life goes far beyond not saying you're using the shark group as a pit stop right because it's a critical element to your own development and your professional growth but you're more than just that a content creator a business development guy for shark group you refer to yourself online as a lifestyle entrepreneur what does that mean what's that term really mean so it could mean a couple things mm -hmm. uh, it could also mean social entrepreneur mm -hmm. um i am not someone that has a business right now mm -hmm. so by lifestyle entrepreneur what i mean is helping other people own themselves Okay. Uh, and that kind of goes back to the brand thing. And that's exactly what I mean by that. Um, being able to get up on a stage or put out an ebook or just put out a video on Instagram and help people in that sense. I feel like that makes me an entrepreneur. Mm hmm. You know, I promote stuff in that way as if I was promoting a product that I'm selling. I'm not selling this. I'm giving it away for free. Absolutely. You know. So what does a typical day look like for you now? Pretty crazy. I am sure. <laughs> Pretty crazy. So my day generally starts anywhere from 5 a.m. to 5.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, I really try and start it at 5. I practice five key principles in the morning, which is journaling, um, showing gratitude, praying, exercising, and meditating. I think by knocking out those five essential things to anyone, puts me on the right path for the day. Mm -hmm. gets my mind clear. Um, yeah, it really just gets me on the right page. From there, um, go to work. Uh, 10.30 to 6, I'm at work. Mm -hmm. Granted, I have a commute, so there's a little bit of excess time there. Then I get home and I just work on me. Um, Got it. Yeah, I do have a bedtime, though. I think it's important to have a bedtime. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. You're getting up at 5, 5.30. What time are you going to bed? 11. Okay. I really try to go to bed by 11. Which is still a fairly small amount of sleep. To do that on a consistent basis, to be living on 6 and six and a half hours of sleep. That's not a lot. Yeah. Do you ever crash and burn? I took a nap yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, sometimes those naps are necessary. I needed it. I really needed it. But I don't really crash and burn because what I'm doing, um, like I, I just see the end goal mm -hmm. and it's just pushing me. Like yeah. It keeps pushing me. Um, so yeah, I just keep going. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious. Help me understand. 
in. When I hear someone say, oh, I get up 5, 530, I automatically assume, oh, they're just a morning person. But if you were a party guy, I know at some point you were a night person. At 11 o'clock, you might have been just getting started or not even out yet. Not even out yet. So how did you turn yourself into the 5 a.m. guy? It actually started with a book. I was never a 5 a.m. guy. Mm -hmm. I did go through the phase where I would get home 6 a.m. after after a club. You know, Uh, it started with a book called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend it. And it showed me that I need to take advantage of my 24 hours. Right. We all have it. It's just what are we doing with it? Right. So I could wake up at nine. Literally, I could wake up at nine, take a shower, get ready, go to work. Cool. But I just gave up four hours. Absolutely. You know, just for what, a couple hours more sleep? Like that doesn't really it was it was hitting me in a different way. Mm -hmm. Right. It was just like, dude, you need to take advantage of those four hours. It sets the tone for the day. Just getting up, rolling out of bed. You're kind of in panic mode in reality. Always like, am I going to be late? I got to get out of here. And if one thing goes wrong, spill something on your shirt is a wrap. You start your day in in a place of anxiety. So but I mean, that's a huge jump, though, from, say, nine to five. So did you dial it back over time, like train yourself or you just said, you know what, from here on out, I wake up at five, between five and 530. So I actually practice a five second rule. Okay. Um, my alarm will literally go off 459 AM and I give myself five seconds. Those five seconds are like, all right, you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Five, four, three, two, one, and up. It was tough. It was definitely tough. I did not dial it back from like nine to eight to seven. To mm-hmm. seven. I didn't do that. It was just straight to five, like cold turkey or whatever the term is. <laughs> and I was just like, I got to do this. And did you stick with it? I do stick with it. Today, I did not. Okay. Today, I did not. So from the first time you did it, you've been getting up since 5 a.m. for the most part. For the most part, when I was on vacation, I did not do okay. it. But yeah, for the most part, I definitely do it. Were you a zombie in the first few weeks? I actually wasn't. I actually found myself to have more energy then than I do now when really? I practice it. And that could be because of the goals I had then mm-hmm. versus now. Like I really wanted to be in the gym at 5. Mm-hmm. So I would sometimes wake up 4.30 and I just knew like the gym would be empty. I'd be able to get it done. Now I've been kind of, I'll do 10 minutes of yoga at home. I'll okay. do I'll do 100 push-ups at home. So yeah, things definitely change a little bit. Yeah. And I, I must say, because we've we've had other athletes on the show, there's something to be said for having been an athlete, because I think it helps with the discipline. Even if you haven't been an athlete for a while, you're so used to being regimented that it's like muscle memory yeah. even when it, it kicks back in when you decide, OK, I'm going to make some changes. But I do think it's true that anybody can make themselves a morning person. It may not be as easy as it was for you to say just to flip the switch and make the change, but it can be done. And I think also if you start with a goal and you know, OK, before you go to bed, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to do these five things. That helps as well. If you're just kind of wandering around in the morning trying to figure it out, what's going to end up happening is you're going to wander right back into your <laughs> bed. Sure. Like, you know what? I'm going to just sleep in. I'll try again tomorrow. But I think, you know, I've, I've read a lot about leaders and key influencers and people who have done amazing things. And without fail, they all have that one thing in, in common. They get up really early with the exception of maybe like a few musicians who just are in the studio overnight. People who are really making it happen, the Tony Robbins the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, they all get up at a certain time. And also, it's funny that you should mention the whole six to six and a half hours, because I did read an article uh, with Oprah where someone had asked, you know, how much sleep do you need? And that was her sweet spot, six to six and a half. I mean, I think we all think we need eight, but if you're moving with intention and moving with purpose, 
I, I believe you can function on less sleep. I, I go at about six every single day. Now, the difference between me and you is I might hit that nap <laughs> by like Friday <laughs> evening. I'm pretty done. Um, but if you're if you are operating in your purpose, you can function with less than eight hours sleep. I believe that because you're just so focused on the, the end goal. Yeah. For sure. Right. Totally. Totally. OK, so you've clearly found your passion. You had a laser like focus. And even though your brand has shifted over the course of your life, you know, three times, as you mentioned, what I'm noticing and what I find impressive is that whatever it is, you've worked um, pretty diligently towards it, whether it's being an athlete and then the the faces that have come after that. What do you say to the person who's like, I don't know what my passion is. I don't know what that one thing is that really drives me to to do things even when I may not feel like it. How can they discover their passion? So I really love that question because for a long period of time, even when I was working with Damon, I, I didn't know what my passion was. Mm-hmm. I felt like I haven't had a passion since playing sports. Okay. Baseball was very much my passion. Then I kind of had like this weird passion of making money. Mm-hmm. I just love to see my bank account rise. And then after that, when I actually gave up the club scene, it was just like, what am I passionate about? And I think what happened to me was I started to define passion differently. It wasn't something so much that I loved, but something that I had energy towards okay. or something that I just wanted to do. So my advice is to literally look into your life and see what attracts you, mm-hmm. you know, like, all right, it could be something that you love. Like, what do you have the most energy when you're doing? A lot of people might say travel or, you know, going out, whatever the case is, that's not necessarily your passion. Maybe it is if you could monetize it or, you know, make a career out of it. But it, it's really taking a deep dive into yourself. So I didn't find out what my passion was until I started to publicly speak. Okay. And my passion wasn't being on stage. My passion wasn't controlling a room. My passion wasn't having people listen to me for 40 minutes to an hour. My passion was what people would say to me after the event. Mm -hmm. And I would literally get chills up my arms and it would be like, wow, I I found my passion and it's to influence people. Okay. It's to positively leave an impact on their lives, to add value to their lives, to motivate them. Um, And that's exactly how I found mine. It was just trying different things. And that happened the first time I ever publicly spoke. Um, So yeah, it's just like getting out there and and do. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about getting out there and doing within the context of public speaking, are you waiting for invitations or are you going out there finding opportunities for you to really spread your message to the masses? So I have never sought a public speaking engagement. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've never promoted it. I was fortunate enough to put content out and people would reach out to me. Okay. And I think that's the power that we all have within our hands is social media. Mm -hmm. Like you can get your word out there so simply. Um, People overthink it quite often. True. I would literally, I remember I put out two blog posts the next week. I got contacted by an individual that I was literally just with. And he was like, Hey man, I would love for you to come speak to my club. Wow. And it just happened like that. So you take pretty much any opportunity, whether big, small, what have you just to hone your craft and really get to an audience. Yeah, for sure. I, I never wanted to put a price on it. Mm-hmm. I, I never wanted to say, uh, I, I really would do it for free the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I really would. I love it that much. And it didn't matter what the opportunity was. Mm-hmm. It was just like the opportunity came and I knew how open I had to be. And I, I just took the opportunity. Absolutely. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. So the day might seem extraordinary, but I think it was the day I met Damon. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think it was the day I met Damon and I could have been regular, right? I, I could have just sh- shook his hand and said, hey man, nice meeting you. But what it came down to was putting myself out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have made a fool out of myself by saying what I said, but I wasn't going to let that opportunity pass. Like I knew I had to take my shot mm-hmm. like then and there. And that's exactly what I did. And not only did I take my shot with him, I was literally preparing myself with everything I was doing up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it wasn't necessarily over the course of that day. It was literally proper prior planning was going to prevent poor performance. Right. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. And yeah, not just with him, but with his team too. Like I was just making sure I stood out. Mm-hmm. Um, I met multiple individuals from his team and I made sure they knew who I was. Awesome. So what about the person who has dreams of getting an internship or working with a major player in their chosen field, but necess- they don't necessarily get that opportunity where someone says, hey, come to this talk or come to this fireside chat. Do you have any advice for that person who wants to make inroads with a certain individual? Because I feel like that's one story for you. But also, even if we go back to the work you, you've done in the party and event space, you don't just, quote, connect with a 50 Cent or a Fetty Wap or mm-hmm. all these people. You've got to navigate, right, a certain way to make inroads. So what do you say to someone who doesn't have the opportunity come to them to meet a certain person, but they want to try to make something happen to create opportunities for themselves to work with this person or collaborate or learn in some way? Yeah. Um, the best advice is either create it or go get it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to work for a Gary Vaynerchuk, literally show up to his office with your resume in hand and provide him value within the 10 seconds you're going to get. Um, might sound a little crazy, but that that's what you have to do, uh, especially if you want to work with a big player. You need to find ways to provide value because mm-hmm. that's what people are they're looking for. That Everyone's looking for value. Otherwise, you're just another bird chirping. Right. You know? So do you think that works in 2018? Like, let me play devil's advocate a little bit because people will hear that and say, I getting into Gary Vanderchuk's office like you know with my resume I'm gonna get stopped downstairs with a security guard sure. like h- how can I do that that's not realistic you think in this day and age that's still a possibility 100% realistic has that have you do you know stories like this I do not okay but when I was I put out a video recently for recent college grads mm-hmm. and I, I knew a lot of people that just graduated and they were kind of complaining like hey I can't find the job I can't find the job it's like all right I get it New York is tough, right? Right. There's plenty of opportunity out there. And if you want it, you need to go get it. So it's not so much in, you know, the Gary Vee example, but it's just like, if you want a job with, I don't know, Viacom or Mm -hmm. whatever companies out there, like show up to the office, like do what you got to do, you know, find someone within the company, provide them with value to get value in return. Like there's options out there that definitely do work. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So tell me, where do you see yourself in 10 years? On stage at the Madison Square Garden Theater speaking to 10,000 people. That's as detailed as I can get. That's as detailed as you can get. That's detailed enough, though. Now, I'm just going to start asking questions. Even though you said that's as detailed as you can get, is that an event that you put on? Does someone else invite you to come speak? So that's a question I don't (laughs) know the answer to. You just know you're going to be there. I would love to do both, Mm -hmm. right? Because I am still passionate about events. Uh, I really do want to be like a Tony Robbins who does these huge events or a Lewis Howes or whatever the case is. Like, I do want to get to that point. Realistically, in 10 years, that might be a stretch Mm -hmm. because I'm still building up who I am becoming. Right. Um, But yeah, no, you just set a goal for me. I appreciate that. (laughs) Listen, I'm all about vision creation and manifestation. So we got to, you know, plus I'm a lawyer. We ask questions. We want to know the how, right? (laughs) All right. So let's go back to your current job because it sounds like 
you know, you're doing content creation and biz dev, but it, it almost sounds like there's a little bit of like publicity work in there as well. So are you creating the opportunities also or fielding requests for Damon to speak at places? I am not. We mm-hmm. actually do have a speaking team. So okay. Damon's one of the most coveted speakers in the country. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For his pay range, I think he's top two or three. Not surprised by that at all. Yeah, which is phenomenal. <laughs> um, but luckily we have a speaking team that handles all logistics and mm-hmm. bookings. And then we have a PR team as well out of house. So you're basically just taking that content after he's appeared and funneling it into his online presence or opportunities to create other content from For it. sure. Exactly. exactly. So do you ever see yourself consulting folks who are not Damon John with the so, services that you provide? Yeah, it's really funny you you say that because it's actually a service that I just brought to the attention of my team at the Shark Group. And I was like, mm-hmm. listen, we need to be doing this for other people as well. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, you know what? This is a Matt LaBreeze thing, right? Mm-hmm. I want myself to do this. But then thinking about it, it's like I could charge X amount. And my company could charge X amount. So where would I make more money? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would be with the company. But yeah, it has been an idea because I know that I can create some damage. Listen, based on what you told me you've done with in the event space and what you've done with Damon, like, I feel like anything you try to do is going to really pop off. I appreciate that. <laughs> so when I look at Damon on the Shark Tank, you know, I see the earrings. You know, he's the flashy shark. And coming from the entertainment world, let me ask you this. Do you feel like you get access from the work that you do with him he seems like a guy that likes to have a good time even though he works a lot as well yeah no uh (laughs) access would be an understatement yeah no it's it's very cool um just rolling with him places Mm -hmm. because it's something that i want i don't really care for fame Mm -hmm. but i do want to have impact on people to the point where they recognize me when i'm walking down the street right you know and i'll be walking with him and people will be like hey man shark tank shark tank fubu fubu like i think that's so cool Mm -hmm. um and even you know just being with them of course i'm around other celebrities as well the joe Buttons, the Irv Gotti's, whoever. Sure. Like I'm around that and being in proximity of that is super powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that helps you, motivates you, I should say, to get up out of bed in the morning too. I know it with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So are you a Shark Tank fan? I am. I am. I watch Shark Tank quite often, mm-hmm. even before Damon, right? I can't say I started in season one because I didn't. That mm-hmm. was 10 years ago. I was, my mind was in a totally other place right. at that point. Um, but over the course, I realized that the educational value that they were bringing to your living room mm-hmm. was amazing and then knowing the stats behind how many families they're bringing together it, it was just amazing and I didn't know that until I was on the inside mm-hmm. but now that I know it it's like wow like it, it's so true and when you see the stuff that's on TV it's just like alright you know power right. whatever you know all that's it's cool like that stuff is cool but to be able to provide value in the way that they're providing value and now that they're about to hit season 10 of their show which is crazy to me phenomenal mm-hmm. phenomenal so out of all the companies that Damon has invested in do you have a favorite that you know of? I really love Bomba socks. Really? So <laughs> I'm I'm a sock guy in terms of they need to always match. Okay. And I match like each other or your outfit? Both. Because both. <laughs> some people don't both. match their socks. It'll oh, be yeah, like one sure. blue sock and one red sock, whatever. Whatever you for can sure. find out of the dryer. Yeah, so they need to match both my outfit and each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're they're phenomenal socks. And they have a very good social cause. Each pair bought, they donate a pair. Okay. To homeless because homeless. That's the number one requested item, which... Mm-hmm. 
doesn't really, it's not really thought of like you might think a blanket or shirt, whatever. Right. It sucks. Mm -hmm. And with that social cause, they've done amazing numbers and they have really awesome socks. I'm going to have to check them out now. Yeah, they're great. You made the pitch. (laughs) Okay. So I know when you have close proximity to someone like a Damon, especially in a big city, people are always angling, right? They may want to get to know you because of who they think you have access to. So how do you discern, like discern the genuine people from those who are just trying to see what they can get from you? So I think it goes back to the whole providing value thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I had an individual just reach out to me maybe a month ago. And that was the first thing he said to me right after he said, hello, really, I need you to get me in front of Damon. And if I went through my whole list of people that said that to Mm -hmm. me, it's like, where would I rank that person on that list? You know, so it really comes down to not that I'm looking for anyone to give me anything because Mm -hmm. of this. But, you know, what are you doing for me? Have you done something for me in the past that, oh, I owe you a favor. Let let me hook you up now, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what it comes down to. Yeah. The value add. So making sure that it's a reciprocal relationship as well. And also like that reciprocity doesn't have to be overnight because I think people sometimes are like, okay, well, I can do this for you today. Now I need you to get me in front of this person. Not realizing that it may not be a one to one. Like sometimes it's about the relationship building and building that foundation first. And then you have that sweat equity in the relationship where you when you need a favor down the line, even if you've had it in the back of your mind all the time, then you sound like a genuine human being who's like, no, I have a relationship with you. I have scratched your back in the past. Now can you do me this solid? It's I think sometimes people think, well, I did this one thing for you and you've got to act right now because Mm -hmm. I did it. And sometimes that's just not realistic. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, it it might dilute your brand if all the time you're coming to someone and saying, hey, I need you to do me this favor. Right. I need you to meet this person. They want me to to put you in front of them. You can't do that in the environment that you work in. Like part of the reason why folks hire certain people is because not only they have that because they have the talent, but they're able to be gatekeepers as well and figure out what the right opportunities are. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that like you don't necessarily have to go to the top, like the opportunities that you need to accomplish what you were put on this earth to do, they are going to come and the doors are going to open. And nine times out of 10, they may not even open in the way that you think they are yeah. going to. It might be a person you weren't even thinking about. So like, I just believe you you put good out into the world and you invest, you're going to get that back. Comes back, definitely Some does. way, right? Even yeah. if it's not from the same person. Okay, so what do you say to the young person who might be listening, who is you 10 years ago or, you know, eight years ago? And it's like, man, I thought I was going to be able to do this one thing, be it sports or something else. And that's not working out. Um, but I want to be Matt. Like, I want to be this guy. What do you say to them if their grades are not there or they didn't get into the school that they they should have or what have you? Dream big and work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, those two things, I think, are like so basic yet so key. There have been times where I've compromised my own dreams just because, you know, everyone has the, that inner voice. Right. Uh, I literally just put out a video today saying that the most important conversation you could ever have is with yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. And as long as you can keep having that conversation with yourself and making sure your inner voice isn't negative, but positive. You can continue to dream big and then work hard because no one is going to do the work for you. Absolutely. And going back to what you said about your 10 year plan, you can dream big and not have all the details. Yeah. Right. You can know that this is a destination I want to get to, but I'm not fully sure what it looks like. I'm not fully sure what all the the steps are, but I know that this is what I want. And I think when you do that, the pieces reveal themselves over time. Like the universe conspires to give you exactly what it is that you need because you set an intention and you said, no matter what, without a shadow of a doubt, this is what I'm working towards and I'll figure it out as I go. You put in the work, you have that right mindset and you're putting that energy out there. It's going to come back to you. For sure. For sure. So besides Damon, whose story do you draw inspiration from? So I was super influenced by 
by Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, only one video, believe mm -hmm. it or not. He's a super inspiring guy, but he put out one video and this was kind of the video that really, I should give a lot more credit to, especially, you know, we were talking about it earlier when you asked me like, what happened? Like what, what switch turned on? Mm -hmm. um, I was watching Gary's TED Talk. I was in a buddy of mine's restaurant and this was my third time watching it. And he kept saying legacy over currency. Wow. And I was living my life the complete opposite way. Mm -hmm. And I told you I fell in love with money. I thought that was a passion of mine was making money, seeing my bank account go up. And when he said that, it just dawned on me like, dude, like you need to leave a legacy. And that's, yeah, I guess I should have said that a lot earlier in this, in this mm -hmm. conversation. Um, I wanted to leave a legacy on my school. And that's why I started to take on all those roles. Um, entrepreneurship club president, yada, yada, leader, leader on campus. Um, but yeah, Gary, um, not obviously Damon as well. Tony Robbins is awesome. Tony Robbins will have you feeling like you can literally conquer the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Tony. And I think someone that I don't give enough credit to is my mom. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents are divorced. Seeing her raise, you know, I, I still have touch with my father as well, but my sister and I lived with my mother for a long period of time. And seeing her uphold the house by herself, mm -hmm. work for the same company for 35 years in a very prestigious position, it's kind of inspiring. Like mm -hmm. now that I think about it, like, wow, like I owe her a lot of credit for my work ethic, for her resilience and her strength. And it's like, you know, I take a lot from her as well. Right. And I think, you know, the millennial generation, the whole 35 years at one place is just not realistic now. Yeah. So to, to know what our parents did of like, you get a, you get a job, you stay at that job and you do what you need to do. And, and raising children in an expensive place like New York is no small feat. It's so it's a sacrifice, you know, that they made to make sure that the way was paved for us to be able to trace dreams. So shout out to mom. Shout out to mom. For sure. Um, so tell me, where can people find you online besides mattlabrice.com? Yeah, aside from mattlabrice.com, you could find me on literally every social platform. Mm -hmm. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, Twitter and Instagram are Matt, M-A-T-T -T mm -hmm. underscore Labrice, L-E-B-R-I-S. Facebook is just Matt Labrice and LinkedIn is Matt Labrice too. Okay. I changed. It's not Matthew Labrice, Matt Labrice. And I'm still just going to call you Matt Labrice because I, I like the French pronunciation. You I, can do I, it. I think there's <laughs> Some, like class to that as well. So, um, okay. So we talked about the 10 year plan. Is there anything immediate on the horizon you want to talk about? Yeah. I actually just started speaking nationally this year. Nice. Yeah. I'm literally going full force with that. Mm -hmm. Full force. I believe I have a message to spread a very inspiring one. And there's a lot of mistakes that I've made that mm -hmm. I can save other people from making. Sure. So that's exactly what I'm doing. Awesome. And since you are a content creator for Damon John, do you want to put his social media handles out there? Ooh, he would love that. <laughs> I might I might have to ask for a check if I do I'm that. I'm just saying, get the commission off that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. So Damon's at the Shark Damon. At the Shark Damon. Okay. So listen, you guys heard it here where you can find Matt. Listen, follow his content. He's putting some great motivational stuff out there to help you get on the track to really maximizing your potential and making sure that you're living the dream, but also doing the work as well. And get up a little earlier tomorrow. <laughs> that sounds like it's a, a huge part of the equation. And whatever you do, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thobal. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.